Good morning, everyone. Glad to be here and glad for the first opportunity here to uh, preach at a church. And uh, I'm going to be sharing uh, two things here today. We're actually going to be uh, sharing about a ministry that I'm involved with. It's called the uh, Haven Arrest Ministries in Akron, Ohio. And um, just, you know, about less than an hour away from here. And so I actually have been involved with the ministry uh, for 22 years. And uh, it's kind of initially interesting. Um, when I um, was going to the University of Akron, actually, I had uh, been living in Illinois for about five years. I came back home and decided to stay with the parents and kind of work on my finishing my college degree in social work. And so I kind of heard about the, this ministry, Haven Arrest, and it's a homeless rescue mission. And uh, this year we celebrated our 75th anniversary. And, you know, I just thought it was an opportunity for me to, as I'm going to college, to work there. And then, you know, I was pursuing, going to pursue something else. But God had other plans. Uh, in 1999, I graduated from the University of Akron with a degree in social work. So that was actually my first position there in uh, 2000. So before we start actually the message, we're going to... Um, have a video. Um, I've had kind of different positions throughout the years. Um, uh, as I said, 2000, I came as a social worker, um, also involved in our men's residential program, like a discipleship program, simply kind of geared to those who are in drug addiction. It's an eight-month to 12-month uh, program. Did that back in the 2013 and 2015. Then I came back as a social worker, and then we had, a, um, in 2017, um, one of the director or a supervisor of their our men's day room area which our shelter um, left and so I took that position in November so I've been doing that so um, I met Tammy there uh, in 2000 and uh, and so this is why I'm kind of moving out to this area uh, we live in North Benton just outside of Alliance here and um, Tammy had been working there for third shift and I and when a, a position opened for her to come on days after she replaced a, a lady became a missionary case manager uh, the director kind of, uh, as I was interested as well, the director had seen t uh, potential Tammy with me, and she had called me up. And why is this, you know, lady calling me up here? But eventually, the next year we got married. So, uh, so uh, got it as his plans. She wasn't aware of it. So what we knew first is I'm just going to share with you. We, we have a, it's actually a 14-minute video, but we're gonna, just going to show maybe half of it, and then I'll come back. We'll begin with prayer, and then we'll start the message. Well, the Haven Arrest has been around for 75 years. It truly is a ministry of faith. Well, Reverend C.C. Thomas had a scriptural quotation that was the foundation of the ministry, that in everything, Jesus Christ shall have the preeminence. Started back in 1943. Eventually started out just as a homeless shelter for men. Reverend Thomas had most of his life been, you know, a motherless child and had to beg on the street for food when he was even three and four years old. So I think his heart was always never let anybody go hungry. We are here uh, because God has blessed this ministry and we have been faithful and depended on him. And I, I remember something Reverend Thomas said. Uh, I was so concerned when I was the food service manager. I was so concerned one Thanksgiving because I didn't see where we were going to have enough turkeys to make for Thanksgiving, and it was getting close. He said, oh, don't worry about it. He said, the Lord always provides. And I said, but Reverend Thomas, we just don't see any. He says, don't worry about it. The, the Lord always provides, and you know, I never saw so many turkeys in my life start coming through the doors. Reverend Thomas went to seminary, which was Grace Brethren Seminary. It was in Akron, Ohio at the time. And uh, they just dedicated themselves completely to the Lord. He worked nights somewhere and at the mission in the daytime because their budget was so small. And it's been very rewarding because... I mean, the, the ministry is supported entirely by voluntary contributions. Since 1943, when it was started, it's never changed. Uh, but over time and how the Lord has blessed it, the doors have opened and we've expanded to a three-campus uh, setting now where we have a women's facility uh, for not just uh, women and children, but also for uh, ladies uh, that might need to have ministry. The board prayed about that and researched and... Uh... Then the Harvest Home for Women and Children came into being in 1979. The changing is 
the kind of clientele that we see come, uh, the, the methods in which we use to help the clientele. We see younger people coming now as opposed to older people. We see addictions being much more than just alcohol. Uh, there's just a number of other addictions and we see younger men and women both now we have and women and children. Uh, that's all grown over the years that I've served. And also we saw the expansion of not only facilities but staff and uh, programming to be able to accommodate that need. We have an emergency shelter which provides emergency shelter for maybe somebody that wants to come in uh, maybe for one day, uh, maybe a week maybe three months, depending on what their need is. We have a residential program, which is our long-term program, um, in which that commitment is anywhere from eight months to over a year. And really, we yes, we do provide food, and we provide showers, and we provide lodging and counseling. But the biggest thing we uh, offer here is hope, and that hope comes through Jesus Christ. So through the gospel, uh, we do share. We are a Christian organization, and... Uh, through the years, as programming has changed, one thing that has not changed is our, our goal, and that is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the men, women, and children that come through our doors. When I came to the Haven, I had been through treatment, drug treatment, um, seven different times. But when I arrived here, I was really beaten down. I was done. I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. And I walked in, I will never forget, it was the old day room in this building. I sat down in the front seat, and I cried on the inside, but I didn't want anyone on the outside to see me crying. So I just sat there in front of the TV. Lunchtime came, I ate lunch, went back to that same seat. Um, dinner came, I ate dinner. They sent me to bed and I cried myself to sleep. And I did not leave the Haven. I stayed here for one year to the day. And through that program, I um, began to better understand what it meant to be in a relationship with Christ. I think one of the struggles of uh, changing one's life is the aloneness and feeling like no one cares, no one's with me. And the Haven is a place where you find out that people do care, people do love you, and it's unconditional. I think that's the thing that touched my heart the most about the Haven. They unconditionally loved me and, and allowed me to be me and my broken self uh, and allowed me to develop into a, a man of God myself. I'll never forget the services that I listened to in there and then that I later preached. Uh, it was just so impactful to listen to someone share the gospel with me and to begin to feel the warmth, warmthness of God in my own heart. And then later, I'm standing there sharing that same thing with others. The presentation of the gospel is primary and premier. And that's really what Haven of Rest is all about. I remember when Reverend Thomas first hired me, or right before he hired me, he said, you have to see the people that are coming through our doors for help as very valued and very loved by God. Uh, he has given them potential, value, a purpose for life, and our duty from God is to help them find that purpose and that value. Um, I came here in June of 1997. Uh, I had uh, quit my job as a retail manager. Um, I gave away all my possessions, and I attempted suicide. About 10 days later, I was released from the hospital, and I had nowhere to go. So they sent me to the Haven Rest Day Room, um, which was a place I didn't want to go to. After I uh, attempted suicide, I was angry that I wasn't able to do that. And every intention was, I'm going to finish the job. And when I came here, there was just something different about the people here. And I was willing to listen to what they had to say because I could tell it wasn't just a job for them. It was something totally different. It was the services, the lunch and dinner services, the devotions in the morning. The guys would even come in at night and pray for us before we went to bed. And, and it just started to sink in that this is something different. This is something real. I had chased after things that didn't make me happy. And I felt like a hamster on a wheel that was going nowhere. And that's why I decided to take my life. I realized that I did have a purpose and that the Lord loved me. And I decided to ask him as my Lord and Savior, August 2nd in the men's day room. Like this, you know, secular counseling has its place and medicine and everything has its place and they help you live. But Christianity gives you a reason to live. It gives you a reason to get up every morning. And that's more important than anything. There are a lot of guys here that are just 
going through their days, trying to get through their days. And I don't believe that's how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to live victoriously. People come here to Haven of Rest when they're at their lowest point. We want them to have a clean environment and a welcoming environment. We want them to, for a moment, forget where they've come from and to give them an opportunity through Christ to start again. And Jesus just, he just reached out and uh, to people where they were, no matter where, whether it was a health issue, a, a salvation need, forgiveness of sin, or whatever it might be. And that's the way Haven of Rest ministers to people. So we have served thousands over the years. Um, we've seen the ministry grow. We've seen lives uh, that have come in, and their lives have been shattered and broken. And we've seen God just restore things in a miraculous, miraculous way. Well, the foundation of who we are will not change. Uh, and that is the core of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was through Reverend Cece Thomas, to Reverend Thomas, uh, through Ben Walker, all the way up through the leadership, all our staff. That, that is always the, the goal. Well, before we start, better be on there, Tech. Okay. Uh, I'd like to just begin with a word of prayer. And then, actually, I will talk more a little bit more about the ministry here, and then we're going to go into uh, my message here. So, let's bow our heads, word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you, God, for the power of salvation, Lord, that has the power to change lives. And as we've seen the testimonies, Lord, just through this ministry in Akron Haven of Rest, Lord, that you restore people who are lost, people who need homeless. And, uh, Lord, some people are seeking for things that are just don't satisfy our needs. And, Lord, you do satisfy our deepest needs. You forgive our sins. You uh, make us right before the Father. And, Lord, just this um, message of the hope of the gospel, Lord, just may, may it resonate in our hearts. Lord, we have a desire to share the gospel for those who are lost, who are lost in sin, who seek the things of the world that don't satisfy. And only you, Lord, can provide that need. And so, Lord, we just pray you bless our time together. Thank you, Lord, for everyone being here today. I pray it will be impactful, and that, Lord, through this message, we would desire to share Christ with others. And, Lord, just to memorize what, you, what you've done, to memorize that you uh, didn't just stay in that tomb, Lord, that you rose again from the grave on the third day. And because of that, you give hope, and you give the forgiveness of sins and the eternal life through Jesus Christ. And we have to fear judgment and eternal separation from you in hell. And so we just pray that we uh, would grow in, in this church, Lord, to glorify and honor you. So we, Lord, just pray that everything I say and do will glorify you. And we just uh, lift this family up to you, Lord, of, of believers. And anything needs here in this church, we just commit to you. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I just want to share with you um, just the powerful testimony of, of uh, some some people who I've encountered, really kind of memorable since I've been there at the ministries. Uh, and so I thought I'd share really with one here from this we just saw uh, was uh, Lee McFerrin in this video. And I actually met Lee in the men's day room. When I, was, when I first started working at the ministry, I was working a second shift, working part-time while I was going to college. And it's just something upon me, I think the Holy Spirit really, draw me to Lee and talk to him. And as you saw here, when, I, when Lee came into the mission, he was actually wearing a hospital gown. And um, he was just, he was hopeless. And every night, uh, the evening staff would pray for the men in our shelter. We have about 100 beds in our dormitories and about three, 30, uh, um, three dorms and 30 beds each. And so we'd go around and we would pray for them before they go to bed. And uh, so it's kind of a way of just doing ministry. And I would talk to him at nighttime. Well, Lee, as you shared, he... Uh, accepted Christ on August 2nd, 1997. Uh, he came in July and it was within a month uh, time frame that he accepted Christ and through actually a church that had came there and preached the gospel. He later came on the program and um, before that, while I was in the uh, men's day room, he stayed there for a while until um, January of 1998 when he became the program and he got counseling and he worked and he, like I said, he said Secular counseling at its place, but really Christianity gave him hope. And, uh, you know, I tell you what, when I heard that testimony, you know, my heart broke. Um, and that was really, not that I was sad, but just joy at what Christ can do to people's lives. 
And as I saw that uh, video, it reminded me of the goodness of God. Um, May 1999, Lee actually became employed. He's worked uh, third and second shift. He's been there for about 19 years, and recently he came on days where I work. And as the manager of client services, I was able to um, train Lee to be a case manager. He had never gone some college before, but never as you know professionally gone to schooling in that area. So it's great just kind of see that you know I can now, uh, as God has worked in his life, I can put uh, you know my legacy and, and, and you know what God has uh, shared with me and, and my life into Him. Two other ones, if we have, have time, or then I'm going to go into history is um, memorable. So. Uh, Lee was 1997, a uh, year after been there, and then, and then Jason Hubbard was in 2001. Um, it was actually a couple months shortly after we got married in, in September of 2000. Uh, we actually married in July. He came in September of 2001. And Jason had a, a rough background. Um, Jason was not one to see success. And I think what's great thing about when you see people that are broken, how God can transform lives. And uh, he, cha- tra- cha- you know, he takes the things that are lowly and, and base of the world, and he transformed them. And Jason kind of grew up... Uh, Kind of rough background. He actually, um, his mother had been kind of involved with uh, like biker gangs, um, so it'd be a little different than busking the bikers. We work more like the Hell's Angels, and so it's kind of a rough crowd he dealt with. And because of that, uh, drugs and, and influence into his um, family, he actually was taken into put into foster care. And you know, um, I think God had done some good things to his life through foster care, living on a farm, and knew the value of hard work and those things, but. Eventually, in his um, younger years, uh, he got involved with drugs. And uh, even, even though he joined the National Guard, eventually he became in prison. And Jason actually grew up in Oklahoma, which is the most interesting. So after incarceration, he got out, and he was actually looking for his father. And his dad, um, you know, he had a dysfunctional background, and his father apparently had come to Ohio, and he looked for him, but found his dad doing drugs, and it was just not a good environment for him. So he came to the Haven Arrest ministries. And through a Mennonite uh, pastor uh, spoke, he accepted Christ there at one of our chapel services you saw a picture of. And um, he joined the resident program. And um, it was just amazing the transformation of this man. There's a lot of people that hear the word of God, the mission, um, that come to our services. But God, when he, when, when Jason was saved, he really uh, gave him an understanding of the scriptures that would just, that really blew me away, really, that was surprised me. And um, he was actually encouraged by the um, Reverend C.C. Thomas, who's actually the, uh, the uh, son of the founder, and his wife, Eileen, encouraged him to go to a, a church, or not a church, I'm sorry, a Bible college, a Mace Bible College in Dubuque, Iowa. And so he would actually went there. Uh, he actually met his wife there. Um, and, and even in the summers, he would, he would so dedicate to the mission that he would come back and volunteer at the Haven Arts. He'd actually bring college students from the, from the Bible colleges to come help out. And um, Jason then eventually became a chaplain after he got graduated from college. Um, and, you know, it, it, life is, is kind of unexpectedly. We think, well, you know, just once he accepted Christ and the way he's going, he, you know, met his wife Angie there, that, you know, life would go um, perfectly. Well, fortunately, Angie developed cancer, and eventually it spread through lymph nodes, and she passed away a couple years ago. But, you know, he dedicated his life to her. Um, I think they got married in uh, 2009, so it's been like seven years of marriage. And he was faithful to the end, um, even to all the time that she had gone through cancer. He never um, drew away from the Lord, or, and, and that would be a temptation. Um, many of our men come through uh, dealing with, with drugs and alcohol, and that's how they deal with uh, problems in life. Many people deal with things that are not healthy, and Jason was faithful. And he's still there now, a chaplain. He's he's involved with the men's residential program, ministering to lives, and his testimony uh, bears witness of what Christ can do in someone's life. And so it's ex- exciting. Another person I remember, too, as well, third one, is Carlito Diaz. Carlito was a, was a, a Mexican-American. He came here uh, in 2009, and I met him actually in the men's shelter. He was a really gifted guy. He was actually a talented guitarist. And so uh, Carlito uh, had a dream of using his guitar skills and but he kind of got in the, you know, more of the bars kind of scene and playing. And um, so he actually was going to um, move to Akron. He was going to um, be offered to, to join a band and, um, and have a place to stay. Well, both those things fell apart. And after an alcohol withdrawal, uh, Carlito came uh, to the Haven Arrest. And he was broken. He was actually from Cleveland, didn't know the area. Uh, we actually thought this guy, he was just kind of... 
kind of a different kind of guy, and, and we just thought, well, this guy actually, you know, you know, they thought of the resident program for him, and he accepted Christ, and, and he was kind of the last candidate we'd think of that would actually um, make it. But actually, he made it, and um, Carlito, uh, once he graduated from the program in 2011, uh, he actually came on and worked um, in our as a receiving clerk for in our kitchen area, receiving donations. And uh, you know, the interesting thing is, even uh, Carlito, I, I say. Um, he actually passed away uh, in 2017, January, and uh, everybody loved Carlito. And it was—you kind of think that's oh, a sad story, but you know what? That's really s- of success. You know, he died of natural causes, and and Carlito is an example of someone who, you know, who was broken, who came uh, to a homeless shelter, uh, accepted Christ, and and, and lived to the end um, faithfully. And he actually was kind of neat. The, the church we've been to before. Uh, Carly would come, and he used his Smith School skills with his guitar, and he'd share his testimony, and then um, he would play his guitar and, and, and minister to the people. And so we got a chance to bring him and uh, some of the several executive directors to the local church we had here, and they would share about the Haven Arrest. And so um, those are just kind of several testimonies I just wanted to share with you about how God works. And then I want to go into uh, the history here of the Haven Arrest. It said brief history. Um, I always worry about what to say, and, and my wife says, well, you'll, you'll talk more than you need to. And uh, so I have a loss of words. And um, so as Reverend Jeff Kaiser is currently the executive director said, he was being interviewed, he uh, mentioned that it, it was actually founded in 1943, and Reverend Charles and, and Marjorie Thomas was a s- small storefront in North Howard Street in Akron. So it was really, didn't have a lot of resources at the time. They sometimes even took men in. Uh, back in that time, as an older uh, generation, usually dealt with alcoholism, um, and so a different culture now. And so in the 1952, uh, the ground was broken for a new building with a clinic for those who were suffering from alcohol abuse on East Bookdale Avenue. So, and then 1974, we have a, a more um, modern uh, functional rescue mission was completed, and it's our current location right now. And so. Over the years, we've just kind of developed, and um, over time, and just needs were met, and the increase of homelessness, and so uh, God has allowed uh, the mission to be provided financially to help those who are in need. In 1976, uh, Reverend Charles C. Thomas, the founder, passed away, and was succeeded by his son, Reverend Curtis Thomas. And then 1979, um, there was a... Uh, there's a crease in female homelessness, created a separate uh, space and facility for the needs of women. So they created uh, a uh, building uh, called the Marjorie Ruth after Thomas, after named after her, Harvest Home. And so it was a place for a shelter. And that was opened under the direction of Eileen Thomas, who is the daughter-in-law of the founder. And, and uh, Tammy worked under Eileen, and she was a, just a great director, great woman of God. She's retired now, um, but um, really supported the ministry. You can see her here right now. She's still gets involved with the mission. In 1987, the uh, homelessness increased, and they had added renovations, and both the Rescue Mission and Harvest Home came necessary. Um, additions to Harvest Home were built in 1989. Uh, they increased their capacity by 50%. And then 1993, they celebrated their uh, 50th anniversary. And 1995, we actually work right now, as the Client Service Center was opened to meet the growing need for comprehensive programs for men and women. And so it's really grown over the years, and... Um, it's changed. The, the uh, people have changed. It's, we're having now, as I mentioned, a more younger culture. To play that, actually, the vast majority of the homeless are usually the age between 18 to 35. So it's a it's a younger culture. It's we see things of the, of the problems of society, like the heroin epidemic. Those are reflections, really, that that happened with the homeless population. And so we actually had an impact by that. And so there's many many causes for homelessness. But uh, God is making transforming lives. And um, one thing that has not changed is really for the Haven Arrest is their unwavering commitment to serve and glorify God through Christ-centered outreach. And that's, I just praise the Lord. We don't accept any government funds. And if you accept federal money, then, then the gospel won't be preached because then we have to, but that we uh, you know, uh, choose to be disrespectful to the government, but we wanted, we wanted to share Christ. And so we've relied on God for all these years to do that. I think it's really wisdom from the beginning when they founded that not to take federal funds so we can do those programs that, that are Christ-centered and do make a difference and lasting impact. And so it's a great opportunity uh, when, we, when people come to the mission uh, to pray with them, to share the word of God. Uh, so many places in, in our culture 
have shunned that. You know, we see that throughout the years through the school system and, and stopping prayer and, and uh, maybe jobs, certain jobs, people feel offensive. Uh, but God is, is transforming lives. I want to share with you kind of a general description of some services here. And um, uh, I don't need actually any printed off copies of things that remember I have so much. But uh, I just hope we recall everything. But we do have emergency services here for our men and women that come through our doors. Uh, that client service center building is there is a women's day room that is specifically designed for ladies who are homeless without children. And they come there and they get help. And it's kind of a locked facility. They have a place where they can kind of lobby area. They can sit down. Uh, more of the video explains that, and they can have uh, case managers to meet with. Uh, all our staff are Christians, so they have opportunity to uh, minister them there. Uh, they have a room for to hold their belongings. They have a laundry room. They even have a restroom. Uh, our our women's uh, shelter is a little less than the men, and I think in the past it's been around 55. Some's even gone up over 60 or so, and so they have that for the uh, ladies. And then the other side of the building. Uh, is a shelter for the men. So when they come off the streets, they have a place they can come to. And you saw the, there's a lobby there, there's a desk. They come in and they meet the staff there. Uh, we have a laundry room services. We have um, storage area. And the back of that building is a dormitory. We have our 100 beds. Uh, the ladies all go into one building, and they actually have the harvest home. That's where also they have a, uh, rooms for women with children. So they can have in individual privacy. And the ladies can get a lot of different services. They actually have a, a, a child advocate that while they're there, they have children that can uh, meet the kids, and there's a playroom for the kids. And then um, they actually do different uh, field trips for the children and different events. And um, so they have a way of helping them as well. And um, so the Harvest Home has been a great, just a great addition uh, to that. And administering the ladies are there. Um, it's not a domestic violence place, but it's there for for both the single ladies and the ladies with children to minister the needs. They have classes for the ladies. They have a, a program they actually, actually uh, uh, did that um, um, was really working on doing some entrepreneurial things with the ladies and uh, crafts and, and, and sewing things. And so partly them done this program, we um, call it a specific name, but they actually design, I mean, do bags and that kind of stuff and purses, and they sell these things. Actually, it's, they actually, at, at the Hartville Market, they sell some of these items. They have actually a booth there. From the Haven Rest. And so these ladies have an opportunity to learn some business skills, but also give back and, and earn some income. That money goes back to the portion to them, the Haven Arrest. Um, our clothing distribution is also in that client service center building. We have, um, we give out clothing. Um, and before that, I, I kind of want to mention um, that we actually have our most important ministry here is our, our um, chapel. That's where we, we share with you. That, uh, showed up front here in this, in this video that we have an opportunity to share the gospel to these people coming through the doors. And many come in through that time of hearing the word of God and being transformed through that. And that's kind of actually, oddly enough, one of the requirements can do. Uh, we can have them attend chapel service for their clothing. So we have a clothing room that's kind of like a store, and they get things that are free, no charge. And that allows them to, we want people to be uh, true with respect and dignity and worth. And so part of that is allowing them, without cost, to have some clothes. Maybe one need help for getting a job. Maybe just lack of resources. Maybe they came out of a hospital or prison. Um, and that's, uh, a lot of times they, they need those things here. So we don't charge for that. Our men's residential program is long-term. It's eight months to a year. It's discipleship. It, it's geared to those who are in addiction. So we have uh, three parts to it. We have uh, Bible studies. We have um, some even just kind of life skills classes we have toward the end of the program. Uh, then we have work therapy. We work on the mission and do different jobs, work in the kitchen, uh, making beds. And then we have a um, learning center where they help them learn some um, basically job skills, learning how to um, write resumes on a job interview. And some of these men and ladies that have come through our doors have burned bridges. And so they need to learn about, okay, let's not talk about our past, but what can we offer to the, to the company? They're living day-to-day -day mentality as far as their goes. And we're trying to help them get back in life. So we kind of have a wraparound services where we try to do that. Um, as well. Um, one great thing I want to share with you as far as the men's residential program is we've had actually an aftercare program. We want to, we've had someone, usually had usually one person kind of working with the men one-on-one, but we realized people need uh, to be mentored by people in the church. And so we've connected uh, um, our men into local churches. And they've actually had a great response to the local uh, church, the chapel. We had a, a Bible fellowship where they just took these men in and befriended them 
and welcome him and develop some great relationships. And that's really been just a great impact into these uh, people's lives. Guys have loved it, developed friendships with the people, and that's where the body of Christ can come in and make a difference. Last thing I just want to share with you is community outreach. Right now, we're actually involved in a Hope Sports Camp, which is um, at a church up in Hudson, and we actually pick up kids and we um, ha- have them learn about basketball, uh, the girls, they, including volleyball, and then we also use that opportunity to use devotion. So sports is the vehicle for kind of outreach. We pick them up, provide uh, them lunch, and we pro- there's no cost to them. We transport them to and from the camp. Uh, these are kind of reaching the inner city kids who have no hope and, and sharing uh, with them. So, um, and, and if you ever want to talk here later on, I can maybe share with you maybe just ways we can help out the ministry. Um, within that transition, um, sharing, I appreciate your patience. It's like almost like a, my dad said, you're almost like doing a two part uh, sermon here. You're talking about Haven Rest Ministries, now you're going to talk about this one. So, uh, unique challenge. I've actually introduced others and done them, and they've done the work of testimony and, and preaching, but now I'm doing it both. So, uh, it's been a great opportunity here to share that. Uh, as you noticed, my sermon, uh, The Compassion of Christ, A Declaration of Dependence, I kind of use the use a word on play. Uh, we have our country has documented the Declaration of Independence. And so that was actually declaring ourselves uh, just the grievances we had against King George III when, when Great Britain has such uh, control and power over our country and tyrannical and, and it's fairly abusive and and you know, the, the, the king had so much power over, over the U.S. Uh, that he would, you know, pick who he wanted for as judges. He would could raise, uh, make raises possible. He would um, set armies into uh, personal areas, uh, charge taxes. Just, but there's so much more that they were um, just very abusive. And actually, even sometimes even have armies against us. And so there was uh, really all the grievances of uh, we had against the uh, Great Britain. Well, one of those is you know we. Uh, common one is that we are um, we have these enable rights given to us by God, and that's really not from scriptures, as you know. Um, but we have a, a different God. We have a benevolent King, and uh, so our really as our culture has actually taken that independence, we've kind of become more independent from God. Even though those founders who had that wanted us to follow God, we've become more independent. We become more my rights. And even though we're thankful for our freedoms uh, compared to other countries, uh, we're thankful for um, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, um, many things, freedom of press. Um, we have become independent of God. And so our declaration of penance is really, as we share from the story today, from John chapter 5, is a man who is completely needy. And without Christ, we are completely needy without him. You know, God cares um, for the spiritual needs of, of, of people, and especially the poor. Um, there's many in, in Psalms, or Proverbs, I'm sorry, that Solomon shared about God cares for the poor, and he's considered the father to the fatherless. And so the church has a mandate, really, from God to really have that same compassion. Same desire for that. And so Matthew 25, included in, in today's bulletin here, uh, 31 through 46, is um, Jesus' desire for us to be the hands and feet of Christ and to show that love to those who are needy. Um, we are just doing a Bible study. I was actually not part of it because I usually teach Sunday school. And one of the complaints that God was not happy with was their lack of compassion toward the poor. And God does care for the poor, cares for the widows, cares for the orphans. That's something that's been very consistent throughout Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, and God deeply cares for that. And so that's a reflection of the church. We should have a desire, as God has shown us mercy and, and love and forgiveness through Christ, um, we ought to share that with those whom he's created. And in 25, 31 through 46, I'd like to share with you that passage. And since I have an ASB, i got to revert to the ESV here, so... So the final judgment says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, Matthew 25, 31-46 says, uh, And all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on the right, Come you 
who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and gave me food, I was thirsty and gave me drink, I was stranger and you came to me. I'm sorry, you welcomed me. I'm sorry, I was naked and you clothed me, I was sick and you visited me, I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you see a stranger and welcome you, naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And I say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they were also saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishments for the righteous into eternal life. So here he is. God has consistent passion, both from the Old Testament and the New Testament, to take care of the poor. Um, those those um, go to Deuteronomy, and, and God really clearly had um, Israelites to include them um, and to take care of them, meet their needs. So as we go here, um, I want to share a little bit about the, the poverty culture and, and um, before we break that in, people are, are in poverty, are homeless, and they're dependent upon others to meet their needs. And they, due to the lack of resources, they seek help through other through food stamps and government welfare benefits and health insurance. Social service agency has helped to meet the needs. Although homeless is usually defined as someone living in uninhabitable conditions, really I found out from my working at a rescue mission that often homelessness is really about broken relationships. Or should I really say broken bridges? Many people come to Haven Rest because their lives are broken by alcoholism, drug addiction, broken relationship due to divorce, broken relationship with a girlfriend or a marital separation, loss of family members. They're oftentimes released from prison. They come from hospitals. They have domestic violence, and, and they also have different lifestyle choices they made, uh, sinful lifestyle choices that have caused them um, separation from their family. Others come to the mission when their housing options are exhausted. Unemployed, disabled, or age affects their ability to work. These are really usually sometimes invisible homeless, and they often live with family or friends or at hotels. And so we don't usually see them visibly, but they stay there uh, for support. But there's a crisis occurs when homeless people have burned bridges with family or friends. Resources are exhausted, and there is no hope. As I shared earlier at Haven Arrest, we share about the gospel and the hope that has transformed lives. Christ transforms lives those who are hopeless and helpless. And so as we go into this, we're going to talk about in John chapter 5 about a man who is hopeless. And he had no one to really take care of him. And as we follow our Bibles here, read that. And this is about the healing of the pool on Sabbath. I want to share with you that um, Christ had a specific encounter with a paralyzed man, uh, desire for physical and spiritual transformation on the Sabbath. And it's be, being controversial. This man was completely hopeless until really Christ changed him. I love really, if you look in the book of John, there's some personal meetings that Jesus has with people. And I love that. You know, he preaches to the crowds, but Christ wants a relationship with people. He talked to Nicodemus in, in John chapter 3, a religious leader at nighttime. I'm not sure if he's afraid of the people. Uh, his other religious leaders around him, but he came to him and, and asked about who Christ was, and he explained about salvation and who he is and about the importance of being born again. And then he also talked to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, a woman who lived a very immoral lifestyle and lived in sin. Uh, she had five husbands, and the one she lived with right now wasn't her husband. And, and yet she was a Samaritan. She was a woman of a different race, and uh, Christ talked to her as the living water, and that she needs salvation. And so many of us uh, have, in our culture, have so much, uh, sometimes wrong belief systems, uh, sinful behavior uh, that um, drive us away from Christ. And um, that's where this man was. He was helpless, um, and he was, he was out without a Savior, 
Uh, but Jesus picks this man out, which is kind of a great, neat, a great interaction. So let me read this passage here, John chapter 5, 1 through 18, and then I'm going to later on talk about 19 to 24. Uh, and there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which is, says five roofed colonnades. And these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there for a long time. He said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was a Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to him, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? And the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. And this, way, this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. And it's amazing here. First of all, Bethesda, um, House of Mercy, it's a, it's a pool, and there is a multitude of people. Um, I heard a pastor preaching, he looked up the word multitude, it just means many. Just, and so imagine this pool where all these people are blind, lame, and withered, and they're waiting for the stirring of the waters to come up. Now, actually, the ESV takes that verse out. Because there was an underground pool, and that when that bubbled up, the water bubbled up, they felt, well, if anyone goes in there, then they would be healed from their infirmity. And, and um, I think it's actually kind of important to keep that passage in there because uh, it shows kind of the, the thinking that at that time, uh, they were the kind of superstitious thinking that they were wanting to get healed, and um, yet they were they're still powerful. And this man never got there after 38 years. And... Um, it was interesting too, as well as I as I heard about this sermon that Bethesda, which is out of the sheep gates near Jerusalem, they thought this place never existed because Jerusalem was destroyed in AD seventy, and they saw there's no evidence of this pool. Well, later on through excavation and archaeology, they they found this place to be true and it exists, and it just kind of shows you proof that even though man thinks well if he doesn't they're visible, I can't believe it, but yet God is so consistent in, in showing Himself through. And using archaeologists to, to show his, his proof of where he exists. Noticing that he doesn't really, uh, Jesus doesn't really get everybody healed. He picks out one man of all the whole crowd to be healed. There's a hopeless and hurting man. Uh, John 5, 1 through 5. He says he had no one to help in the waters. And he thought through the waters being stirred up, they would be healed. And he was by himself. Um, no one's there. I can imagine 38 years being in that kind of state. Uh, we have so much modern technology and, and ways of uh, medicine that, you know, you think that you know, we're just so grateful for that. But that time, there's nothing for them. But in, in uh, John 5, 6 through 8, um, Jesus has an encounter with him and talks to him. And Jesus cares about him. As I talk about a visit from a gentle healer. And he sought the paralyzed man out, and he says, And when Jesus saw him lying there, he said, knew they'd been there a long time in that condition. He said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered, answered him, and I'm reading from the NSB, sorry. I have no man to put me in the pool where the water stirred up. While I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. Pick up your bed. Jesus sought the man out. You know, the interesting thing is that Jesus knew his condition. He knew he was in bad shape. Uh, he knew they'd been there for a long time. Apparently the man had actually been there prior to, even though Jesus existed all the time, but his time on earth... Um, he had been in this condition at this pool. And the question of there, do you wish to go well, I think even one translation, do you may want to be made whole, is really a question of faith. Uh, do you want to be made whole? Do you want, and so really for him, the paralyzed man, he had to respond um, when the next thing happens. And he had to um, seek his his, his acknowledgement of his, of his incompleteness, that he was, he was powerless by himself. And yet he gave complaints. He said, look at, you know, the water stirred, 
when I'm come down, another steps down before me. And so he had excuses for all these years of being in that condition. Uh, sadly, sometimes people are stuck in that condition, stuck of feeling hopeless and help, hopeless. And they have no one to change them. And that's a dangerous mentality when we have that. So the good thing, though, is Jesus does heal. He says, get up, pick up your pallet, pick, or pick up your bed, and walk. And immense, instantly, this man is healed. It's not a matter of time or, or days. Instantly, he heals the man. And so it's a response, really, of the man's obedience to Christ. He didn't know who he was. I don't think he really realized who Christ was. And he realized the power. He realized he was God in flesh, walking around them. And so by his obedience, by faith, putting his faith in there, immediately he was instantly healed and got up and picked up his mat. Now, you think that uh, the Jews around them would be uh, very excited about this. You know, think, man, what a great healing. And if I was there, sometimes we'd go back and say, well, you know, why can these people think this way? But, man, wow, this is amazing. It's great. He's healed. He's been there for a long time. But the Jews... Uh, were, were caught up in their hyper-legalism and um, they were stuck in, in their um, laws. Um, and that's the, the, that's the sad part is there is a um, wrong relationship with God. We're trying to do things by our, by our own selves, by our own laws and good works to get right with God. They're missing the point. I also want to mention thing too that not only was Christ willing to heal him, but Christ is also concerned about his spiritual condition. And that's one verse later on. Um, in verse uh, 14, he later speaks up to, to meets him privately, uh, the man who's healed. And he says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, this is obviously before Christ died on the cross and for his resurrection. So it was a, it's really kind of based on Old Testament faith. But Christ, when he came to earth, he talked about... Uh, Repentance, turning away from sin. So not only uh, that he was concerned about his healing, um, but he was concerned about his spiritual condition. Um, Jesus actually healed seven times. I think there's seven different instances of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Uh, he did this, and I think a lot of times he was challenging the legalism of the time um, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath, and he created Sabbath for man. And uh, God, even though he rested when he created creation, here's the creator coming to earth, creating. He has the same power to do healing. And there's, no, no, um, there's nothing wrong with doing good on, on the Sabbath. And yet they lost sight of that. They're, they're stuck in their uncaring response. And the opposition was more concerned about, about following the law and doing this right versus just being thankful this guy got changed. And this was really the beginning of the persecution of Christ. The hyperlegalism of the Jewish people lost sight of a great miracle. There was no, one, there was no evidence really was happy about the healing of the Sabbath or cared about the paralytic. They wanted to rely on their rabbinical, man-made oral laws. They're not was consistent with God's laws. They added on to God's word, and that was even considering things on the Sabbath laws of transporting from one um, item to another. And so they had built up all these things here, but but God had in verse. Exodus 20, he never specifically laid out what restrictions were, but they wanted to meet all these requirements. And so um, when, when Christ comes, there's always opposition. As we desire to speak the truth, uh, no matter how you know, kind and compassionate Christ was, and, uh, and he read through their hearts of the people who, were, who rejected him, often the Pharisees were the ones who were religious, and he um, wanted to know they, they were very self-centered in their thinking, and they had no compassion, and yet he wanted them, the man to know who had healed a relationship with him. Jesus really condemned the, the Pharisees for their hypocrisy and adding a burden to the law upon others, but not willing to live it out themselves. And in Matthew 26, 1 through 6, Jesus has an encounter with um, the Pharisees, and he exposes their... Um, um, their hypocrisy. Um, I'm sorry. That was, I think actually I read a different passage written down. I apologize for that. That's not the actual reference. But there is a, there's a, there's a passage here, and I apologize for writing down the wrong one. But it was basically that, that they sought to, um, to put burdens upon them others that they couldn't even fulfill themselves. 
And they want all these man-made laws. They weren't willing to do that. And they didn't really care about others. Um, and that was, so Jesus saw the, the, the hypocrisy of them and uh, their unwillingness to, to uh, share love. And really, man's attempt uh, through religion is to please God by abiding by laws and good works and never satisfy God's righteous standards. And we've kind of discussing this here in the men's Bible study. and appreciate Cody leading that. And um, there were others who were, after um, Christ came, um, and, and came and died on the cross and rose again, and people saw the evidence of the resurrection, they wanted to go back to the, the old law and the ways, and that's what was never Christ's intent. And man looks at all himself through religion to please God by abiding by laws and good works, but they never satisfy God's righteous standard. God has such a high standard, we'll never meet that standard. Um, and even the law. He looks at our hearts. He looks at our, our minds. Uh, he, he examines those. And our righteousness is really considered filthy rags. We, we can do nothing in our humanity to please God. Uh, we're just um, sinful. And the people there didn't really realize that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. And doing good on the Sabbath is never forbidden. He created man, I'm sorry, created Sabbath for man, as I shared earlier. And that's in, in Mark chapter 2, 23 through 28, has that specific passage there that um, I'd like to reference in that controversy over Sabbath work. It says, It happened that when he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain, the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you read what David did when he was in need, and he and his companions became hungry? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathiar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priests. And he also gave them those who were with him. Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord of even the Sabbath. And so um, man looks at that um, and, and doesn't realize that he has put these extra burdens on it, that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. He has the power to, to heal, um, and just like he did with this man. I've actually had some opposition for myself. Actually, I kind of practiced this sermon at the Haven Arrest Ministries before I came up here. I thought, well, at least you know, get some opportunity to do that. There's an opening for that. And shortly soon after that, we actually had the same issue. Guy had mentioned about the Sabbath, um, or when God rested from um, after the you know, six days of creation on the seventh day. And, well, yes, I acknowledge that. And I showed him even the passage about Christ and what he said there in the scripture. Yet I still wanted to argue it. And and so people will, will sometimes even challenge us. There's not always, always a welcome arm uh, to come and receive the gospel. And there's opposition. People will argue. And, and so just as Scripture says, Jesus said, uh, um, you know, broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the road that leads to life. Uh, many people come through our doors, and uh, we, hear the, we want to share the gospel with them. We have desired to hear the word, but their hearts are hardened. They're hardened by sin. Sin has calloused them in. Because I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And so I know that would play in my life when I was growing up. It's time in my life I kind of walked away from the Lord in my teen years and in, in, in my young 20s. And uh, when I was a teenager, I heard that even though I went to church, in the outward appearance, looking right, but in my heart, I didn't want to do what we got it. Because that was a, really a front to my, to my lifestyle and things doing wrong. And, and um, God examines our hearts. And he wants us to get a right relationship with him. In conclusion, the story really shows dependence of the invalid man for complete, on Jesus really, for complete healing. Jesus not only cared about his physical healing, but also man's spiritual well-being. And he said, go and sin no more, unless something worse may happen. Jesus showed complete dependence upon the Father by doing his will. That's why they're angry at him. That's why... There was opposition to what Jesus said. And in, and in verse 18, it has that. He says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only is breaking the Sabbath, but he's even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so um, there's opposition to him. But Christ, when he, came to, when he was here on earth, he says, I do the Father's will. He was consistent in his character with being equal with God, Yet in his as a son, as a part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in his 
he was showed his submission to that. And I think it's a good example for us to show our submission, our dependence upon the Lord. Jesus wants us to depend upon him for salvation. And this is where the power changes when we internal when, when we allow Christ to, to forgive our sins. We stop looking by our own ways, by our own religious way, efforts to get right with God and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless like this man here at the pool of Bethesda. I can't do this on my own. I can't transform. He was, I can't transform myself. I can't get out of this, this lifestyle I'm leading or, or choices I'm making and, and, or feeling hopeless. And um, as we saw earlier in the video about Lee, Lee had, had looked at the world and, and, and just felt hopeless and looking at things in the world in himself to find that complete completeness, but it never is. Um, and then First John, I know it talks about the world and its, and its desires will pass away. Sin will never satisfy us. And uh, I was reading recently about C.S. Lewis, I think it was to the Daily Bread, and it says, uh, God will never make us happy apart from him. Apart, and I'm kind of paraphrasing that, but apart from Christ, we will never be happy because he's not going to bring that, that fullness until we have a relationship with him. And that's the thing, as we, uh, as here, that's what I love about this church, and that's why we desire to come to this church, um, is because there's a heart to share Christ with others, to be an example, whether it's through the Carnation Festival or um, through you know, different outreach efforts, um, blessing the bikers, different things we, we do here at the mission. Um, sometimes it puts us in an awkward position, maybe dealing with people we're not familiar with or comfortable with, but God gives us an opportunity to do that. God, uh, when I went in ministry, look, I tell you what, I was never living on a bridge with a bunch of you know trolls or was never raised by a pack of wolves or lived this kind of wild lifestyle. And I thought, man, how am I going to re- relate to these guys? Such a different culture. But God enabled me to do that, made me enable to minister to people. And so as our heart desires to do what pleasing God, I pray that, I, and I hope that really you would have desire that we would um, look at other people who are lost. Have desire. I want to show it, close and sharing here the response. Is really what are our attitudes toward the poor? What is holding me back from claiming the good news of salvation to people who are different than me? Maybe people from different culture, different race. Um, Jesus was willing to talk to the Samaritan woman. They had false doctrine. She lived a wild lifestyle. Uh, but yet Jesus wanted to have her know the Savior. And um, talked to an invalid man who was completely hopeless. Really no reason why, the Bible doesn't say why he met that man, why he healed him, but he desires that relationship with him. And so people who are, who are disabled, who are, are different ethnicity, or living a lifestyle that we just, you know, we just cringe, we, like, and there's some times like, man, Lord, you want me to talk to this guy here? Uh, so I have to pray for that, pray for myself, pray for that person to be changed, and then God works in that. And really, what is holding you back from proclaiming the good news of salvation to people who are different than me? What is, what is it sometimes fear? I know sometimes um, we live in a culture right now that's becoming increasingly antagonistic toward the gospel. And as in the end times, we become lovers of ourselves. You know, we have our selfies and, and look at ourselves and our Facebook and, and social media. And, and yet we um, don't see opportunities sometimes, uh, despite our lack of connection with each other. We've become isolated uh, and opportunities to share Christ with those who are lost. And sometimes we need to pray for God, give me the strength to do that. I'm not saying I do it perfectly. I rely on the Lord. Uh, sometimes I get discouraged. I get depressed. I need to examine my attitude toward others. And God, give me my, the right attitude to, to share Christ with these people who are lost, who, who I'm just clearly upset. And, and really, people are lost, and, and a lot of people are really heading to hell. And that's, that's the sad part. God's not going to tolerate wickedness. He will bring judgment. And he's not going to tolerate man's witness for so long. He is slow in compassion, which I love about the Lord, and wishing no one perish, it says in First Peter, but he wants people to come salvation. And I hope as you hear the testimony, um, that, and um, the testimony here, Haven Arrest, um, John, Jesus' encounter with this disabled man, that you would have a heart for him as well. I'm going to close with a prayer. I'm sorry, I've gone over. Uh, like I said, I, was, I wasn't lost for words. I apologize for that. <laughs> Uh, Tammy was, was timing me when I was practicing this yesterday. So, But I just hope as we grow in a church here that we would, um, as it shares here, that we would uh, experience Jesus, we'd have community, um, engage, embrace community, and then engage culture and, and have a difference. So let's go into some more prayer, and uh, let's just examine our hearts as we, um, before the Lord. Dear Lord, we just thank you, God, that you are a God of mercy.
that you extend salvation for those people who are lost, who are hopeless. As we did with the man who was at the pool of Bethesda, Lord, he had no one to bring him to the pool. He thought this, just if I get in the pool, Lord, you'll, he told Jesus that I'd be healed. And, and that was his mindset. He was apart from Christ, didn't know, know the Lord of the Sabbath. And thank you that you are the Lord of the Sabbath. You have the power to heal, to bring salvation, to bring wholeness in people's lives, give them a purpose. And uh, we just pray that, Lord, as we see people are lost and encounter, maybe it's family members, maybe it's our, our neighbor, maybe it's somebody at work. Uh, Lord, as we encounter others, may our heart be broken for those who are lost and desire to share Christ with them. We just pray as a church, Lord, we, we grow in that area to love others and to um, share them about the kingdom of God. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy in our lives. And we just pray, uh, bless those who are here today. May this word just resonate in our hearts and we may desire to proclaim your good news. We just thank you, Jesus, um, what you've done for us on the cross. We just commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand and join us as we thank the Lord for everything?